Good stuff. All right. Hey, welcome to the Gathering 208 podcast. Uh, glad that you are with us and hanging out. Uh, we are live from the Wiley's garage. And thank goodness it is cooler today because last week was we way too hot. We were sweating. I was like red in the face by the time we were done. Uh, but uh, I'm sweating my beard. <laughs> he's sweating his beard, just glistening. Uh, we're glad you're here with us because we have got Scott Wiley, who is a pastor, church planter, counselor, and uh, my dad. And <laughs> so we're uh, we're excited to have him with have him with us, and that you are all with us as well. But um, yeah, welcome to the podcast. How's it? I, I I feel like I should call you Scott to be like somewhat professional, but that's no, weird. I'm just gonna. Call please, you I would be weirded out. <laughs> I don't think anybody's gonna be my mining if you just say Dad. <laughs> good, as long as they don't mind if I call you Joshua Huber. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Now that's out there. <laughs> no, oh, man. Oh, uh, so you are, man. Tell you are out in Rapid City, South Dakota. Oh yeah. So tell us a little bit about, because uh, I grew up in Rapid City for the most part. Like, we moved there when I was six. So tell us a little bit about how you got there and, and what you do. And, um, I, I mean, I know there's a lot there, but, yeah. You could skip. <laughs> well, you could skip well, my grandparents. Uh, you gave him all those titles. I know. <laughs> what was that, Kellen? I said, he said, just tell us a little bit of what you do. Like, that's a lot to unpack with all those titles. <laughs> oh boy yeah um so yeah we moved out to rapid city in 1993 i was a youth pastor i had been a youth pastor in michigan and before that a youth pastor in indiana where you were born and uh and then uh we moved out here in 93 uh to be an assistant pastor of discipleship and uh and christian education and i did that for nine years uh, at a church. And, um, during that time I started to, Oh boy, this is going to, I'll just tell you the whole thing. All right. So during that time, uh, I was kind of developing my philosophy of discipleship and, um, and I, uh, came across the idea that, you know, discipleship in our age has got to be more than just being able to teach what the Bible says and how to pray and how to tithe and how to give. It's how to apply these things to a modern day life that is extremely complicated and dysfunctional in a lot of ways. And I remember sitting across the desk from uh, parishioners as an assistant pastor of discipleship with my eyes bugging out wide open, you know, deer in the headlights with the problems and issues that they were, that they were bringing to me. And I thought, I am not prepared to really deal with this. I mean, I'll pray for you, you know, and, and here's what the Bible says. And, and that's kind of what they were looking for. And they were encouraged by that and everything. But I, at that point, I felt God really calling me to, to learn how to do discipleship in acute situations. And, uh, and so I started pursuing my degree in counseling. Um, and uh, because I felt like, to be able to, you know, everybody, everybody comes into church with kind of like a hefty bag over their shoulder with mm. all their garbage, right? And yeah. so many times, I know you guys are trying to plant a church that meets people right where they are, where they are, I mean, geographically even. And, uh, but so many times in my growing up, church was, 
you put a nice suit coat over that hefty bag and then we'll have fellowship, you know, <laughs> shake hands in the hallway and that's our fellowship. And then I thought, man, it's got to be something more than that. It's got to be got to go deeper than that. And I think every pastor has that heart for that. And um, and so so I went for the counseling degree. And uh, at the same time, there had been a vision in the church that I was serving as the assistant pastor at to someday plant a church in a certain part of town out in Rapid Valley, we call it. And uh, they approached me and your mom and said, um, uh, what do you guys think? Do you want to lead the charge on this? And, and uh, we prayed against it for a while, you know, and, and, and then eventually, you know, the Lord really kind of broke through and said, no, I'm calling you to do this. And so we planted a church and, um, and it's Word of Hope Church and we're still, uh, still, the church is still kicking. We uh, planted in 2002. We just celebrated our 18th birthday. So now we're officially voting age or whatever. And uh, we're adults, you know, we can be drafted now. And, um, uh, and you were a part of that church plant. And um, uh, I remember giving you a, a base for Christmas and said, Guess what yep. you're doing, Joshua, <laughs> with the church plant. <laughs> and uh, boy, did you ever take off with that. But, um, but anyway, uh, so now as a church planter, I, I was also planting a church, finishing out my degree, got my license as a counselor. I did my internship at a university in the counseling department. Um, and I did that uh, until... Uh, and, and I ran a suicide prevention program that was federally funded, and then the grant ran out, and then they switched me over to multicultural affairs, and they say, here, run this office, you know, and so I ran the multicultural affairs office three quarters of the time and did counseling a quarter of the time, and then my full-time job, my other full-time job was the church, and I could only take about seven years of that, and then, and then, uh, then I had to quit the paying job and just stay with the church, and uh, and so I did that. And then uh, since then, um, I've kind of hung out my shingle as a counselor, continuing to pastor the church. We've built a building. We've added to the building. We're getting ready to add again. Um, and so we continue to develop the ministry. We've, we've started Celebrate Recovery. We've got the Celebrate Recovery, the main one in town. Well, the only one in town. I guess, but one of the hub ones in the Black Hills, uh, we're one of a fellowship of a few. And uh, so we got Celebrate Recovery going. Um, I'm running my practical Christian counseling practice. And, uh, and now I'm trying to work on a book to deal with. It's kind of like, uh, kind of like this whole philosophy of discipleship, you know, all the, the baggage and stuff. It's like, taking scripture and applying it to relationships uh, so that we can have healthy relationships. And so I don't know if that's all uh, way more information than you were looking for. No, but. no, that's good. That's good. That we, um, and that's one of the reasons I like, I'd love to have you have you on again sometime to talk about um, the celebrate recovery stuff and, and uh, addictions and uh, habits, hangups and others. Uh, Hurts, hurts habits and hangups. Um, <clears throat> but one of the reasons I, I was excited to have you on this time was um, 
you know, we, we've been, you've been sending out, uh, you know, prayer updates and, and we, we had talked about this, this book that you've been writing and working on about, about relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that I've got these relational gems that you have shared with me pretty much some from the time that I kind of got into puberty. Um, and, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, we better, we better start equipping our son for, for relationships and see how it goes with the first one and then refine it with, with each kid. Uh, and, um, so, and I was talking, I was talking to Erica this morning. I was like, yeah, you know, he, I remember him sharing these things with me when I was like 13. So, you know, I was like a decade or, oh, two, well, you two know, even, ago. uh, when you were 11, there was a big thing back then of called the 11 year old trip through folks on yep. the family uh james dobson would talk about it and you remember going down to denver down to, to see denver. a rockies game and we listened to all of james dobson's i can't remember what the names of his cassette like tapes were bringing up boys or like tr- cha- i just remember there was a there there was a, a traffic sign that like said changes ahead on the cover right. i can never remember the name of the curriculum it's it's like preparing your child for puberty basically was yeah. what it was but i can't remember <laughs> the I can't most remember the actual title somebody <laughs> your mom will remember she'll she'll post it in the facebook thing probably uh, i just <laughs> i remember like listening to these very preparing descriptive preparing for adolescence that's what it was <laughs> these very descriptive uh, segments about like puberty and what all happens and <laughs> yeah. then like everything yeah, else that we're goes all with awkward it. And then you pausing the tape and going, so do you have any questions? (laughs) (laughs) No, but, um, yes, you know, no, but I'm traumatized now, dad. And (laughs) Uh, relationships though, like they've always been a key part of, of like our relationship is, is talking about relationships. Like anytime I've got an issue to navigate with, um, you know, when I was dating or with other people or now <laughs> in ministry and, and, and then now as, as a lead pastor, each, mm-hmm. each of those phases have kind of brought in these new relational dynamics. And it's like, well, uh, time to call my dad. Right. And, um, <laughs> and so I, when you told me that you were writing this book, um, and I'm going to try to get it right. Cause I said it wrong last time, but, but love wisely. Exactly. Uh, I, you know that it's such a it's such a part of of the things that we've talked about, um, and it, so I'm ex- I was excited you sent me the um, the proposal and I got to read through uh, some of the summations and the, the different chapter headings. Um, so I wonder if you would tell us a little bit about why love wisely. Like, what does that mean? Okay. Well, um, you're talking about relationships and kind of the central role of relationships, and you know what. This is what I say in the book, the stuff of life. Relationships are the stuff of life. And, uh, and, and this kind of goes into philosophy of discipleship and everything. But, but uh, you know, God is a God of relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally existent. He's already, the Godhead is already in relationship, in love. You know, there's a love relationship that's already going on. And I've heard authors talk about, you know, there was so much love going on. You couldn't help but create, create the world, create the universe, create mankind, create us in his image. And, and with us created in God's image, we're made for relationship. We were made for relationship with God and with each other. 
And so there's almost a trinity right there. And, uh, and, so, and so that becomes what relationship is all. I mean, that's what life is all about, uh, is the relationship of this to that and you to me and me to you and us to God. And, uh, and, and that's what makes life interesting. That what, that's what brings the joy and the color and the flavor into life. That's what brings the trauma and the tragedy and the, and the drama uh, into life as well, because that's what we're wired for. And so in my counseling and in my pastoral ministry, as I've already kind of referred to, like having that deer in the headlights look uh, with people that had actual real problems, um, I learned that, that relationships are key and we're not really well equipped to do them well. Uh, ever since the fall of man, we're not really well equipped to do relationships. In fact, the fall was a relational fall. Uh, we fell out of relationship with God and, and put on shame, and now we're hiding from each other, and, uh, and we're, we, we lose intimacy uh, and, and connection. And so you put people into like intimate relationships like husband and wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, or parent child. And, uh, and all that sin and shame and all those dysfunctions start to come into play. And we're not equipped to do them well, especially if we um, didn't have a lot of exposure to biblical truth. But even if we did, uh, depending on, on how, it, how it was lived out and how it was presented, we may not really have a good clue on how to do relationships well. Uh, and so I called it love wisely. And um, there's a story about that. Um, one time with uh, Love Incorporated, I don't know if you know what that is. Uh, yeah, we have uh, Love Inc. here in, in Boise. Okay, you have Love Inc. there. So we have a really strong Love Inc. in, in Rapid City too. And, um, and part of what our Love Inc. tries to do is to train people to work with people who are in poverty. And, and poverty is defined as uh, having broken relationships and brokenness. And, um, and so um, there was a counselor who came to do a training for volunteers. Uh, I, I did a segment and he did a second segment. And, uh, and he got up there and said, all dysfunctional relationships have, uh, have this triangle in common can i show a picture yeah yeah okay so uh the picture i i i made it a little bit different i put my own terms in it calls it the drama triangle and a and a, and a uh, psychologist from the 60s called it the uh, he was cartman they called it cartman's triangle he he wrote it in an article and then it became famous and mm. and uh and he says all dysfunctional relationships have this uh this triangle going on uh where somebody plays the role of bully somebody plays the role of the role of hero and there's always a victim and so somebody's playing victim and uh the hero is going to try to rescue the victim and their role in life is to try to rescue victims the victim's role in life is to try to get heroes to to rescue them and the mm. victim wouldn't be a victim if there wasn't a bully out there somewhere so uh, so the, the victim is victimized by the bully. The bully looks down on the hero, looks down on the victim, thinks everybody's a jerk. 
and uh, mm -hmm. and uh, and the hero is just trying to rescue. Uh, and, and so then around and around we go. And then if the hero decides, you know what, the victim's just not getting better. It's not getting any, it's not, uh, it's not working out very well. And they kind of want to step away. The victim becomes a bully and victimizes the hero and, mm. and uh, the hero becomes a victim. And then, or if the hero decides, no, I don't like that. And so he becomes a bully and the victim becomes a victim again. And then we're looking for a new hero. So if that's complicated, sounds complicated, that's pretty much the <laughs> melodrama of, of all dysfunctional relationships. There's always this dance going around. You can, two people can, can dance around all, all three parts of the triangle. Uh, but so at the of end of his talk, go ahead. Familiar. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, think look been, familiar? I think I've been in that triangle before. I don't know if you have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, haven't we all? And I think, well, here's a, here's a little caveat, pastors, are really big on becoming heroes, you know, yeah. or heroes are really big on becoming pastors is the way I should put it. And uh, it's like a chicken egg question. Yeah. And so uh, the person's a rescuer. They want to go out and save the world. And, uh, and so they, they, and so they create drama triangles wherever they go because they're, they're keeping victims victimized and stuck in their victimness and, so anyway, I got a whole chapter, two chapters that describe this and how to stay out of it. But at the end of his talk, the counselor that was explaining this, he said, so that's the drama triangle. And the bottom line is love wisely. <laughs> and that's all he said. And I, <laughs> that just caught my attention. I just thought, oh man, I need to, I need to write that down. You know, love wisely. Oh, that is so good. Yeah. And we're all just going, wow, you know, and and uh, he since he uh, died last year or two years ago, and and uh, so I may include him in the acknowledgments for the mm. dedication of the book because because uh, he was the one that kind of gave me that phrase based on that drama triangle. So then I was thinking about love wisely, and uh, and I thought, well, you know, the Bible tells us love your neighbor. You know, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies, Jesus said. And, uh, and so, yeah, we're all about love. We're supposed to love, love, love. And, uh, but then you, you get into the Proverbs and the book of James, and, and, and it's telling you, be wise. You know, be wise as serpents, true to snakes. Uh, mm. uh, uh, yeah, wise as serpents, innocent as doves. <laughs> is what Jesus was saying. And, uh, and so it's like, okay, uh, where do wisdom and love, how do you balance these out? Because if I'm, I, I can see how the hero is always loving his neighbor, the victim, you know, mm -hmm. but is it wise? And is it, is it doing a good thing for that victim? Is it helping them? And, uh, and so the premise of the book is basically this. Um, love and wisdom, biblical love and biblical wisdom will do the same things. Uh, if, you, if you love wisely, if you apply biblical wisdom uh, to your intimate relationships, you're going to love in the best way. And if you apply biblical love, uh, you're, it turns out the best way to love somebody is also the wisest way. And so I'm trying to tease that out and 
put together all these chapters uh, for that concept. So, and if uh, for those watching, if you've got any comments or questions or, or thoughts, uh, feel free to post them uh, in the comment section below, and we will uh, we'll throw those out. Um, and hi to so some of you have been saying hi. So uh, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here. Part of the conversation. Um, but when you look at this, this idea of love wisely and then that drama triangle is it does love wisely just help you navigate where you find yourself in the triangle as best as possible? Or does it actually does it actually break that or uh, is there something yeah. different? Yeah, you you want to stay out of that triangle. Because it's a drama triangle. It's, um, uh, in fact, Cartman, who came up with the term drama triangle, or or referred to it as a drama triangle, he was thinking in terms of a literal drama, like a uh, like a play on the stage, you hmm. know, and that, and then so here's a stage, and here are the main characters, are these, the bully, the hero, the the victim. He called them the persecutor, the rescuer, and the victim, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, and so they're playing this role and each role is dependent on the other to keep the drama going, to, to keep the play going. Uh, and I, I think of it as like games, you know, keeping the games going. And, um, and the, the dysfunction, it's dysfunctional relationships. He said all dysfunctional relationships have this, this characteristic, this drama triangle going on. So of course, if we don't want dysfunctional relationships and we want healthy relationships, we want to stay out of the triangle and not play the game, not, not be in the play. And, uh, and so in the book, I try to talk about, it's like, okay, um, what does the Bible say about relationships and how to apply wisdom and what does it mean to stay out of this triangle, because the Bible doesn't talk about a drama triangle, but you can see you can see drama triangle characters all throughout the Bible, and uh, and so what do you do with that? And um, and as it turns out, I'll I'll just go ahead and give you the key to these this part of the book, and uh, then you can just skip over that cha- those chapters when you get it. <laughs> you won't have to read it. Uh, here's the key to staying Still out of the drama. Are you ready? Here's yeah. the key to staying out of the drama triangle. Act like an adult. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> so I talk a lot about spiritual maturity, you know, and and uh, the Apostle Paul said, uh, putting away childish things, you know, we grew up into spiritual maturity. And and, uh, and so that means uh, having spiritually mature thinking, not dysfunctional thinking. Uh, that means having spiritually mature words and actions uh, and really the drama triangle. And I guess I'm big on this right now, because this is a chapter that I'm really trying to work on it's chapter seven. And uh, so far, this publisher says it's different chapter. It's like, okay, well, uh, <laughs> but uh, the, the, the thing that drives that triangle that makes that thing, that crazy cycle go is every one of those characters in the, in the play are trying to um, extract significance out of somebody else. The victim is trying to extract a sense of significance and importance out of the rescuer, out of the Mm. hero, 
like somebody please make me feel like I'm important and that I matter and I've got all these problems please rescue me or I don't have all these problems but I think I'm a victim so please rescue me uh, the bully is trying to extract importance out of the victim saying um, you need to uh, like obey me or you need to uh, submit you need to um, you know, all my, all my problems are your fault. And so I'm going to blame you. And that's a bully, you know, that I'm going to blame you. And that makes me feel more significant or at least less insignificant. And obviously mm -hmm. the rescuer is finding a huge piece of significance by being a rescuer. Um, and so obviously then the key to staying out of the drama triangle is not looking to other people for your sense of significance or looking to them for your security, for your ability to be lovable and loved. But we find that in Jesus Christ. Only God can really provide, you know, that, that's what the God-shaped whole is, is that need for security and significance, that need to be loved and to, have, and to feel like I matter. And, uh, and so if I'm looking to you to provide that for me, then I'm starting to make a triangle in one way, sh shape, or form. Mm. So. That's powerful. <laughs> Just that idea of, of getting stuck in bad relationships. I mean, it all stems from, you know, em emotional immaturity and spiritual immaturity and, and just this looking to other people to fill a need that other people were never designed to fill. Right. Um, well, I'm even thinking like, you know, back when I was at Ransom and I was handling like benevolent requests, right? And people would come into the church, you know, either because they needed rent assistance or groceries or, you know, what have you. And I'm thinking back to some of the stories and I'm like, oh, man, if if you're looking at it, you're like, oh, the bully is my my landlord and I'm the victim mm. and I need you, the hero, to help me cover my bills or you know, whatever. And that's just one small, tiny little example, mm -hmm. but a very um, common one. Yeah. It's a very common one. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I remember one time sitting with Jason Muller when he was, uh, showing me how to handle those conversations. Right. Um, and, uh, the guy came in and was looking for help. And Jason's like, look, I don't, I don't have the money you're looking for, but what I can offer you. And then he went, you know, and he started talking about how, you know, Jesus could rectify the issues that this guy was going through. And, you know, this was before they started, uh, you know, ransom recovery and stuff like that similar to the celebrate recovery. And, um, mm -hmm. so yeah, well, like, even... as you're talking, Scott, I'm like, it's making so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> been there. Been there. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the same experience I had when, uh, when that other counselor was drawing it on the, on the, yeah. on the paper. And I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, okay, that's all making mistake, uh, making sense, and that's kind of the whole philosophy of Love Inc. As I understand it, is is we're not trying to just push stuff on people and rescue them out of a, a certain thing in order to stay a certain mm -hmm. position in life in order to stay stuck in that position. We're trying to trying to um, give them a hand up, you know, uh, and and. Uh, take them through adult education and, and, and help them preserve their dignity by working for 
uh, a piece of furniture or helping out mm. in some way uh, or taking a class to, to get some kind of help. And, uh, and so they, they get to preserve their own dignity. They're not playing the victim role so much anymore, but uh, they're starting to. And so, so I think that whole, uh, when helping hurts and toxic mm -hmm. charity and, and those kinds of books, those all play right into this whole love wisely kind of thinking. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I've, uh, you know, I've grabbed onto that as, as thinking, yes, that is true. That, that looks like God's way, you know, not to keep people as victims, mm -hmm. uh, not keeping them uh, stuck in, 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 you know, in spite of themselves, keeping them stuck where they are. And, but to, uh, um, by, by, you know, and not by, by keeping, keeping them stuck by just rescuing all the time. Yeah. And well, then and that seems... relationship goes sour and then I become a bully instead. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, and, and that's something like Kel and I've talked about with uh, this um, when helping hurts is this idea of the, um, uh, it was a book that was written. I can't remember the name of the author, but um, powerful yeah. book about yeah. how some of the ways that we do even things like short-term missions trips can actually uh, push people into a victim mindset or into yeah. a, um, I, and I can't remember the verbiage they use, but but essentially we we're we're leaving people in a worse state emotionally and spiritually and and sometimes economically than when we showed up. Yeah. Um, and so it's like a lot of people will you know like with benevolence or a lot of people we interact with you know you, you might in your workplace you might have that person that that's always always kind of wants to be the victim or that person that always wants to be the the bully and you interact with them and they they try to push those other relationships on you. Um, and then, but then we can find ourselves doing the same thing when, you know, when you're trying to be the hero, you know, you, yeah. you, you're almost pushing people into victimhood sometimes. So here's well, my it advice. Feels good to be the hero, right? It does feel good to be it the hero, great to be the hero, but you got to have a victim to be the hero. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So the advice is love wisely. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh man. <sighs> That is so. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Enjoying working on the book and stuff. Well, I, I was reading through the uh, the chapter titles or the the because you've got parts and then like sub parts or sub chapters in there, and I was like, man, mm -hmm. I you got like a you got like a five or six week sermon series in here, easy. And like, well, that's how it started. Of <laughs> <laughs> it started as a six week sermon series, and uh, and that became the kind of the grist for the for the uh for the for the book eventually mm. um yep so that's what that means so when you when you talk about kind of this relational spiritual emotional maturity um like what does that look like what does it what does it take to get there what does it look like like how can you how can you look at your life and go okay i've i've got some of that well, um, let me let me help myself a little bit here. <laughs> just gonna read sections of the book. Yeah, I'm just gonna pull out the book. <laughs> um, yeah, the way I uh, talk about it is I, I talk about it in in the sense of. You know, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
And I really kind of key in on the self-control. And I use that in another part of the book where I talk about um, boundaries and, and having healthy hoops. Uh, and then we can talk about that too. But, uh, you know, healthy boundaries on yourself means self-control. And, uh, and so I've, and I'm talking about, well, what is self-control? Well, self-control is, is having self-discipline. And so um, I kind of break it out into disciplined thinking, uh, disciplined speech, uh, and, uh, and I break that out pretty, um, pretty much. And, and, then we, and then disciplined uh, uh, behavior. So disciplined thinking, speech, and behavior, you know, and those all go through together. And those are kind of our communication tools. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and how I speak is going to be according to how I think. And, and so First uh, Corinthians uh, 14.20 says, Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. Uh, in regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. And, uh, and so I talk about how disciplined thinking means um, having mental clarity, um, not uh, going into uh, like all or nothing thinking or all these thinking errors that you could have, catastrophizing, mind reading, fortune telling, personalization uh there's all these different ways of having undisciplined thinking um uh sticking to what's real uh using clear direct assertive language um and so this is disciplined uh disciplined thinking um and so to stay out of the drama triangle to to and behave like an adult and have spiritual maturity means I need to not think like a bully or not think Mm. like a rescuer or not think like a victim. And so um, to, to, for example, uh, bullies almost never think that they're bullies, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're thinking with their thinking, they aren't thinking that they need to dominate another person. All you need to to do to to think like a bully all you need to do is be more concerned about being right than being kind (laughs) and and if it's more important you to be right than it is to be kind you're starting to kind of edge into this bully zone uh and so changing our thinking to be relationally oriented um it's like yeah i want to stand for truth uh i i because i think that that's truth is truth and i think it's best for people in the long run anyway um, but I also got to realize that when I'm standing for truth, I'm standing for truth in front of a person and, and I need to take this person into consideration and, uh, and so lead them gently. You know, the Bible talks about being gentle, uh, try to correct people gently. And, uh, and so in there, I say, you know, a good rule of thumb is if you can't let go of an argument, then you're acting more like a bully that, than an adult, um, we understand that in the realm of being a victim, that there's a victim mentality. You know, we've heard that phrase before. And that's another example of undisciplined thinking. Uh, victim thinking is kind of focused on how unfair the world is, uh, how unfair everybody is, uh, uh, how come other people get to have better 
um, advantages than me and and it's a very personalized self-defeating kind of mindset and um, and so disciplined thinking for a victim would mean to re refuse to play the victim role and start seeing the world and my part in it more realistically you know i can't do everything but i can do some things uh, I'm not in completely incapable of achieving. The world can be a hard place, but it also can be a wonderful place of blessing. You know, the world isn't always fair, but it's possible to overcome when you trust God and apply yourself diligently. Jesus said, take heart, I've overcome the world. So, so that has to do with disciplined thinking for the victim. You know, if you're a rescuer, um, you know, in order to have disciplined thinking as a rescuer uh, or to get out of the rescuer mindset, um, I simply, well, to think like a rescuer, I just simply need to believe that I really don't have any value unless somebody else thinks I'm a hero. Mm. Uh, as long as they think I'm a hero, then I'm okay. In fact, most rescuers feel like as long as somebody thinks I am an awesome hero, then I'm barely acceptable, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's kind of the weird psychology of a lot of pastors, you know, bless their hearts. Uh, uh, and I'm one of them. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, let me see. So uh, discipline thinking for the rescuer is to use sober judgment. When you consider yourself, you're not worthless or unacceptable. If you aren't always the hero, Saying no is not a sin against your acceptability. Other people's disappointment is not always your problem. Okay, just because you don't swoop in to make it all better for the, the victim doesn't mean that you're a bad person. Okay, sometimes mm -hmm. there's good reasons not to, not to uh, rescue. Uh, and, uh, and then I kind of go into a whole difference between being a being a hero and being a good Samaritan. Uh, there's a lot of differences there. And so that's disciplined thinking and then disciplined speech. You know, uh, we, we talk about that a lot, I think, in church, and that's all really good. And so that's speaking like an adult. You know, adult language is not full of F-bombs and, and, and expletives. You know, that's not adult language. Adult language is having language that is seasoned with salt, you know, and that is uh, encouraging and not unwholesome. Unwholesome means like moldy. Uh, and it's being truthful and honest. It's, it's uh, uh, having self-control. And uh, same thing, same thing with, the, uh, with my behaviors and my actions. You know, I want to aim for righteousness and persevere and be filled with Christ and peace-loving and humble. And so these are all aspects of spiritual maturity, just to give you the long answer. <laughs> so you're, you, what you're kind of saying, though, is is that it's the, you know, the the behaviors and the words and the um, uh, the thinking or um, thinking, yeah, thinking, but they follow the the mindset, right? Like you have to have. Oh yeah. You have to shape the mindset first, and then all the everything else follows that exactly yep be transformed by the renewing of your mind um mm. 
as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's kind of the foundation of cognitive behavioral therapy. <laughs> change how you think, and then you'll change how you feel, and you'll change how you live, and you'll change your habits yeah. and all that. We, um, I remember when I was in, in high school taking my psychology course uh, at classes, um, and you know, so we're covering the basics, and they were talking about the difference between like um, cognitive theories and behavioral theories, and you were. Um, it was just, it's kind of fun is I graduated when I graduated from high school is the same you year that you graduated with your master's and, and counseling. Um, and so you were, you were telling me, well, one of those is biblical <laughs> and one of those is not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Do you, you think, know, that's, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. You can. Oh, I was just going to go off on a tangent. Um, <laughs> Larry Crabb, you know, he's a counselor, Christian in Colorado and has written a lot of books. And he calls it spoiling the Egyptians because he says, you know, in every theory, uh, well, first of all, you start with all truth is God's truth, right? Mm -hmm. So if it's true, it's not against God if it's really true, you know, because all mm -hmm. truth is God's truth. And, uh, and so science is never really going to contradict good science will never contradict good theology. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so the same thing with, uh, like in the, in social or psychological studies, uh, a good psychology theory is not going to contradict the Bible. Uh, and so you can look at a psychological theory and you can kind of see where, where certain things line up like, um, oh, you could take Freud and his whole idea of, of the id. And mm -hmm. take that with the fallenness of man and our motivations are, are always, you know, tainted, uh, to say the least. And so that's yeah. kind of Freudian, really, you know. And so maybe Freud was kind of right on some of this stuff. Uh, definitely Aaron Beck with the cognitive behavioral and the as a man thinks in his heart and change your thinking, change your life, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That all, that all plays into it. Um, uh, there's the one, another big one that I'm into that, that uh, comes through and love wisely. And I don't really talk about it anywhere, but it's underneath is what's called attachment theory. And attachment theory is, uh, is the idea that, that um, we all need to attach. <laughs> you know, we need, we're made for relationship. Oh, well, that's <laughs> yeah. basically what it is, is, is. And so they, they like to use their own special term. So attachment and so they talk about like a, a child, a baby, when it's born, its first task is to uh, uh, securely attach to its mother emotionally. And if that attachment isn't secure, that baby will have problems, uh, developmental problems all the way through, uh, maybe even into adulthood. And, uh, and so you can have insecure attachment and, uh, and there's like RAD, mm -hmm. which I can't remember what it stands for. Uh, I think that's reactive attachment disorder. Yes. A, a friend you, of ours, Kellen. a friend of ours has a, a, a child that, yeah, deals with that. Yeah. 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 And so, and it, and it may not, you know, it, it can happen for any number of reasons, you know, mm -hmm. uh, circumstances or biochemical reasons or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, but if there's not a good, strong and secure attachment to your initial object, which is mommy, uh, then it can 
create problems. And, uh, and so to me, that is a very biblical theory because it's like, oh, it's all about relationship. There we are again, mm. all about relationship. And, uh, and that guy wasn't even a Christian. Bowlby was his name. And, but I tell you what, uh, all my counseling for couples is basically rooted in that theory, uh, trying to not just solve their money problems. How are you going to talk about money? Communication problems, in-laws, uh, sex. It's like, how are we going to work through all these things? And it's like, okay, I don't know how you're going to work through all these things, but if we can get you to securely attach down here in the, in the guts and the emotional mm-hmm. level, you'll be able to work all that stuff out. You know, if you guys can remind, be reminded you love each other and you're compassionate toward one another, I think that's why the Bible talks about so much about those deeper things like kindness and, and grace and love and devotion and loyalty. All those things that are down here in the basement in the foundation. Uh, then you can figure out the, all the other uh, things that you differ on, you know, and some of those things you may never resolve, but as long as you're securely attached, um, you'll have you'll have a good relationship and one that goes yeah. the distance. I remember when uh, after Eric and I got married, one of the first things you you had told us, and you and Mom, I think, were to, together and, and kind of pulled me aside and said, you know, um, you and Erica are always going to be welcome here at the house, and and you know this can always be a, a second home or a place to stay, or if you ever find yourself in a situation where you just need a place, you and your family will always be welcome here. But you had better not show up here without her because you're running. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and you you uh, if you guys are fighting, you will never get to stay the night here. You will always have to go home and deal with it. Yeah, go home and deal with it. <laughs> And uh, wow, I don't remember saying that. Well, bless our hearts. I <laughs> <laughs> must have been your mom. <laughs> it might have been. <laughs> it might have been. But it just reminds me of that that attachment is it, you, uh, yeah. you and mom were, I mean, you were sad to see Eric and I move to Indiana pretty quick after we got married. But at the same time, in some of the conversations, is there was just such a, an importance for us to have that time where we couldn't run home you know, yeah. and, and long distance calls still cost money at that point. So, you know, you, you didn't call home either. You, <laughs> you had to wait till after 9 PM to call home, you know? <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, quite honestly, I think, you know, that's a big reason why your mom and I maybe survived our first few years. Cause I got, we got married and then I went to college. And so we had to move mm-hmm. away from parents and stuff. And yeah, long distance phone calls did cost money. And, and uh and so did gas and and even though it was a lot cheaper um (laughs) and uh um and and time and and time away from work and all that kind of stuff and so we couldn't just go home you know we couldn't just storm out and say i'm gonna go back to dad or mom and uh and so then we had to figure it out you know we had to kind of work through it and uh it's like okay if we're gonna make this thing work we're gonna have to apply a lot of grace and forgiveness you know we're gonna have to try to understand each other and try to be a little softer with each, with each other and mm. stay connected and uh and if we were able to just have an escape hatch to run off to um you know we we might not have made it 
because those mm. those first few years of marriage and poverty <laughs> in school were pretty severe, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, mom is setting the record straight in the comments that it was her that told me this. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> it kind of sounded like something she would say. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, and I was I was driving through um uh coffee drive through here in town today and they had all these these supportive signs up. Right. Um, and, you know, just uh, you've got this and, you know, just just kind of encouragements as people are going through and getting their coffee with with everything going on. And we're still in, in social distancing until the end of the month um, minimum. And there was one sign that said um, essentially that the purpose of life is 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 happiness. Right. If you've mm -hmm. got happiness, then everything else will fall in place. And yet like what you're saying now is the richness and, and the, the, the tight attachment actually comes from how, you know, going through those difficulties with someone and sticking it through. Like if I just pursue happiness, I would have gone home. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more comfortable and I can, I can feel happy, you know, sitting in my, my parents' basement and uh, you know, which, um, I mean, not after you get, you took my room away. You took my room away and put me in that little, <laughs> that little temporary closet. They, they seriously put a temporary wall up in this little strip in the back of the basement yeah. and said, by the way, that's your new room nice. <laughs> after I went to college. That's a whole other story. Uh, slowly <sighs> getting me out of the house. <laughs> yeah. But, and then we um, got a dog to replace you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you definitely left the void. I mean, you, it looked like you had something about that, uh, uh, you know, the happiness and the. I mean, yeah, I mean, isn't Ecclesiastes like about chasing what feels good and ma makes me feel good and makes me happy? And I mean, I, I think we see that that's not mm -hmm. <laughs> the purpose of life, you know. Um, as you were talking, I was just thinking back to like, yeah, like times where my wife and I like, you know, you go through your difficulties. Every every marriage goes through it, right? Um, and I'm I'm sure there's moments where she was like, "I'd be a lot happier if I wasn't here right now," you know. <laughs> um, but but yeah, sticking it out. I I mean, are things always perfect and smooth smooth for me and my wife? No, you know. But uh, we work through those difficulties. We, um, you know, they they've become some of them have even become part of our story. And, and with that, God's redemption within our marriage. Mm. Right. You know, yeah, so, um, I've done a lot of stupid things. Yep. <laughs> it's a good thing. My wife is a grace filled woman. Uh, because, uh, yeah, there, there's, you know, in hindsight, there's times where I'm like, what, why did you stick this out? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, but it's because of what you were saying earlier, Scott, right. Uh, my wife is a mature Christian woman, not perfect by any means, but neither am I. And, um, but she's a mature Christian woman and she extended grace to me. You know, she could have played the, the drama triangle out, you know, uh, she mm -hmm. could have played the victim, you know, uh, and so on. But, you know, she was a, a grace filled woman and I know that wasn't always easy for her. Um, but yeah, so that's what I was, as, as you were, yeah. as you were sharing, Josh, that, that was just some of the thoughts going through my head, but yeah. Yeah, I, I think when people talk about, you know, well, whatever makes you happy, 
you know, and happiness is the is the point and that kind of thing. The definition of happiness is so short-sighted, you know, because mm-hmm. what's going to make you happy in the moment could actually make you miserable in the long run, you know, because, mm-hmm. and, and so, so I think uh, the Bible gets it right when it, when it points us more toward holiness than happiness, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it's like do right, do, you know, love mercy, uh, do justly, uh, and everything in that verse <laughs> and uh um and and pursue righteousness and honor one another honor god love god with all your heart soul mind and strength do what is good and uh and guess what a byproduct is going to be more happy moments because of the internal world being put together in the right place uh, whereas if i'm just pursuing happiness then really I'm kind of pursuing the flesh is kind of what that means. And then guess what? I'm going to have a lot more unhappy moments and they're going to be, they're going to be deep and they're going to be terrible. They're going to be filled with shame and guilt and, uh, and broken relationships in my wake. And, and so it's pretty short sighted when we talk about happiness. Mm. Don't worry. Be happy. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I, I, I talk a lot about, um, the idea of wholeness versus happiness. Yes. Um, And one of those things is worth pursuing. Uh, (laughs) and, um, you know, I think I always define wholeness in terms of holiness. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Cause we like to alliterate. Well, that's not really alliteration. That's uh, that's rhyming. Whatever, Kellen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like homonyms or <laughs> there you go yeah i oh man i just i feel like sometimes you can get pigeonholed into that those cultural conversations of of happiness and if you're if you're you know you're you're depriving somebody of of their happiness or or their desires in a moment and um when we're walking alongside people in life and we're, we're trying to, a lot of times you meet somebody and they, they just can't seem to look past, you know, past their nose and what, what they're in, you know, that, that current situation is just, it's all consuming. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I've been there. I call you when I'm there, Uh, (laughs) help me see further ahead. Um, But a lot of times it's just like, man, when you, when you want to walk with people and help them see further ahead, you almost have to even, you just have to change what they're pursuing. Um, otherwise they just end up right back into these, these, um, unhealthy roles Hmm. and, and just been bitter at you (laughs) Hmm. or for the, for trying to, trying to to guide them and direct them. Um, Hmm. but yeah, that's a whole other topic. (laughs) I was thinking, you know, in this proposal for uh, if anybody out there is watching this and you have something to do with Wesleyan Publishing House or any other publisher, uh, hey, we're writing a book and it could turn into multiple books because in the proposal, you know, they, they said, well, a lot of publishers are looking for authors. They're not looking for like a single book. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other ideas on books? And I thought, 
yeah, I've got an idea in a book, uh, other books. Um, I think uh, my son and I would be able to write a book on loving wisely and leadership, like church leadership. And uh, can I even print that part out? No. But, uh, or, or uh, yeah, church, you know, the, the, the highs and lows or the, or the <laughs> agony of victory and the, <laughs> the agony of victory <laughs> I, I the thrill I of victory you, and the agony of defeat from two church planters you know <laughs> i remember you bringing that up in passing like i don't know six months ago maybe a little longer yes. like, uh, and i was like yeah that'd be cool that'd be fun and then uh, you sent me your your publisher proposal and all of a sudden i'm listed as co-author You're, on subsequent yes. books <laughs> yes a new a new book idea <laughs> like, we oh, would co-author yeah, it's well, it could be not yet, but it could be. But yeah, you know, I, I think um, everything that you were just describing a minute ago uh, plays into that whole thing of of uh, when when you were trying to help people uh, and walk with them. Sometimes you have to apply what James Dobson used to call tough love. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to uh, kind of confront or challenge something that they're thinking, and not everybody's ready for that. Not not everybody takes to that very well. And uh, uh, maybe sometime later they come back and say, "Oh, you're right," and that's very rewarding. You know, feels very good. But sometimes they just don't, and and you have to to know in your heart. It's like, okay, I, I tried to be faithful. Try to be faithful to the word and to them, to this person even though um, it didn't turn out that we stayed in relationship or something. Mm. So that's another book. Is that two minutes? Oh, my wife is giving me the two minutes. Um, oh, my. I do have a question about, um, you talked about, so when people are healthy, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, they, they're not in the triangle. Right. Even if, if other people around them are trying to push, push them into the triangle, we don't have to be in that. Right. You don't have to when we goals. get unhealthy. Do you do you think that people um, naturally tend towards one side of that triangle or maybe within yeah. within racial relationships or what does that look like? Yeah. Most people, depending on their temperament and upbringing, you know, nature, nurture. Uh, will enter a triangle at some point, you know. Um, and so, so they might have been, have kind of a, a, a timid nature and, uh, or be down and under or, or raised under a bully or something. And so they see themselves as a victim all the time. And, mm. and so they're always looking for the hero. And uh, what can also happen is, is um, they uh, um, they make a big change, a big reformation, but instead of getting out of the out of the triangle, they just change positions. Mm. It's like I've, I found a new purpose, rescuing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to be a hero. Um, yeah. But we all have a tendency to be one. Like I said before, you know, a lot of rescuers. Uh, feel called mm -hmm. into the ministry 
and uh, and it's not that they're not called into the ministry but um they probably need to do something about this rescuing tendency and turn it into being just a good samaritan uh and and loving their neighbor in an appropriate way that's not detrimental to their to the victim Mm. Some people will tend to be bullies, you know, and they'll come into it looking for people to blame, people to hold down, people to dominate in order to feel okay about themselves. So, yeah, yes, we see absolutely. that a lot in, in like, um, you know, recovery ministries or, or counseling or um, just pastoral ministry of you walk with somebody and they, like you said, they go through that big, that big change and they feel like they've taken this big step and they've grown so much, but all they did was change roles. <laughs> they didn't actually mm. find any healing or wholeness. It's just their perspective is different. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, you're still, you're still staring at the same pile of junk in your life. You're yeah. just standing on the other side of the other side of the hill. Yeah. And, and just remember, it all goes back to where am I getting my significance? Where am I getting mm. my sense of who I am as a person? And I can come into recovery thinking I'm going to no longer be a victim by being a rescuer. And mm. I'm not going to get my significance from people rescuing me. I'm going to get my significance from rescuing people. And it's like, whoops, I'm still in the triangle. I'm still caught up. And so a lot of recovery work, like step studies, is unpacking all that stuff and uh, picking it apart and finding my significance in Christ alone. And mm. it's really tricky, actually, because um, you can tell yourself, you know, my significance is in Jesus. And then somebody looks at you cross ride and you go, ah. Do you think people can, if, if, if someone has self-awareness, and, and they kind of know where they tend, um, either in general or within specific relationships. Is that is that something people can use as almost a barometer for where they're at in their their spiritual maturity, emotional health? Where, um, say like say like you, I'll, I'm going to use Eric and I as an example. Say like when I am getting emotionally unhealthy or spiritually unhealthy, I become more of a, a bully towards Erica. Um, yeah, with self-awareness. If I start to notice that you're in my halfway life, there, you know. I mean, I don't know. I'm just thinking all of a sudden that that can all of a sudden become a barometer. If you go, if you can step back from your behavior for a moment and go, oh, that wasn't okay. So that's actually, st it's not stemming from something she did. It's stemming from, I've got an issue over here. I've got an issue with yeah. um, not being fully reliant on God right now. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I I think that's. I think that's really good. And you can, you know, you can use things like what does spiritual maturity look like or what's a drama triangle look like, you know, and, and kind of, kind of say, oh, am I starting to play those roles now? And, but it, it definitely takes self-awareness and that, that's probably maybe something I had to stick in the book because, um, because I don't think people who are in the triangle are very self-aware. That's why I'm writing the chapter in there. <laughs> it's trying to <laughs> trying to create some oh huh that makes sense you know kind of mm -hmm. that thing and create that self awareness because boy if you can have that you're eighty percent of the way there. Mm. Well, we are. I mean, we're at an hour. 
So I don't know what's that. Do we have any questions or anything on? No, that? if uh, so. How long is the show? Well, it usually goes for an hour, but I didn't tell you that. So if anyone has any questions, um, we're sitting comfortably on a couch, so we're good to go. No, if you've got any questions that you'd like to ask, uh, uh, ask Scott here. Um, that felt weird. Ask my Call dad. Scott. <laughs> uh, feel free to post it, and um, uh, we will we'll do a little bit of Q and A here. Um, and if do you have any questions, Kellen? Why we see if anybody wants to post anything or. I mean, not not really uh, a question, more um, more an observation. You had mentioned it right at the beginning of the call, or beginning of the. Do you call it call, show? Call work show call, podcast. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever this uh, is. <laughs> that uh, you know, I think a lot of people when they hear the word poverty, they they think of somebody who's just poor, right? Somebody who's financially yeah. in, in a hard spot, you know. Um, and, and I just think that's a great observation that poverty really stems from broken relationships somewhere in their life, you know, um, mm. you know, and it may be that, you know, their parents loved them, but it came from, you know, something before them. Maybe it was their, their, their grandpa, grandma, whatever, mm. aunts, uncles, whatever. It could be that, uh, led to the broken relationships in their life. But yeah, poverty is just so much more than somebody who doesn't have money, you mm. know, so I just, yeah, yeah, I just thought that was a great observation right at the beginning, and glad you touched on that. Um, what that know, guy, I, his I, name I, was Fiker Ficker, um, that wrote uh, when helping hurts. That that's kind of uh, drew that from him. Okay. So yeah, yeah, that's a great book. Uh, I suggest people pick up a copy. It's not a long read. No, either. and it's a quick. It's an easy read. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's, Overly hard. And they got a video series and stuff. Uh, oh, really? I haven't watched those. Yeah, um, to teach a group, you know. Brian Fickert. Brian so, Fickert. Yeah, his name. Oh, man. Yeah, they, right. I uh, tend to think of things in, you know, you have those four, four key relationships were broken uh, at the fall, you know, between us and God, us and others, us in creation and then us and ourselves, right? The, the internal relationship. And it, it seems like a lot of that poverty and a lot of that, um, that search for meaning seems to step from stem. Well, it always stems from one of those, one of those four things being broken. Um, well, in that case, um, and this is exactly Brian Fickert's point is we're all impoverished. <laughs> You know, we all have poverty. Uh, some of us don't have material poverty like like others do, but we have the same roots, you know. It's just like um, in, in recovery, um, there's different hurts or different habits, different hang-ups, but they all come from the same hurts in a way, uh, or the same internal brokenness, and, and we've just learned to cope with them with this or that behavior that is unhealthy or sinful and uh so yeah we all have brokenness and we all have uh poverty and need and and uh and so that is a first step to really loving wisely and to uh ministering to people in material poverty is to not take a some kind of a i've got it together and you don't type of stance 
mm-hmm. uh, because then you're just then you're just increasing their poverty by robbing them of dignity mm-hmm. and uh, creating more brokenness in their broken relationship with themselves and with God. Wow, and with you. So I know I'm very heady and theoretical. I <laughs> it's good stuff. It my mom, your mom, when we teach uh, parenting, I uh, I always have her in there because she's more <laughs> she's better with like stories and and uh, <laughs> examples and and things like that. And and so I tell the group, it's like, okay, I'm here to give you the the play by play, and she gives you the color, and uh, <laughs> and. And that's, oh, I love that's it. how we divide it up. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely have to to have you on again uh, to talk about. Um, I mean, just I, e- emotional and relational health is always going to be an issue. But um, uh, you know, parenting. I know you you actually um, teach um, parenting courses for that are required by the state uh, for people going through. I, I think you're. Are you still doing those? Or you did at one yeah. point? Yeah. Uh, still doing that yeah i mean not currently because of our wonderful pandemic but but uh uh i will again in the fall it's common sense parenting by from boys town and and it's uh our our court system it's one of two courses that they uh will require parents to take for custody issues and and uh and it, it's really good stuff I, I really enjoy teaching it i remember when we had liam uh our oldest uh we we were walking through some of those uh, those tools that they yeah because uh, yeah. you so you've been teaching that for a while but um yeah uh and so we'll have to have you on again talk about about parenting and talk about um uh, you know recovery ministries and um all kinds of all kinds of stuff there but mm-hmm. um Really appreciate you being on. We had uh, Debbie. Debbie's post said in recovery. I think we need to remember we can we can hate the sin but love the person, um, and and some kind of separate the two. Um, and so yeah. I think walking that, walking that can be. I mean, do you have, do you have any anything you want to say on that? Um, no, I think she's absolutely right. Um, it's like because I think that's the position Jesus takes is is that he loves people so much he just cares about them. And it breaks his heart to see his dearly loved people get caught up in sins that are destroying them and, and, and driving them further from, from their salvation from God. And, uh, and so we can see people with those same eyes of compassion to separate them. And I, I think that's a key to ministry, by the way, is to separate people from what they do. Uh, the valuable per- person for whom Christ died, whose whose uh, identity ultimately is going to be wrapped up in Jesus, from the sins that they're committing, or the things that they're doing, or the addictions that they're getting caught up, and even like some of the decisions that they're making that are frustrating the the bejesus out of us, you know, <laughs> and uh, they're making these decisions, but but we got to separate the the person the valuable person for whom christ died from this behavior and it's hard it's really hard Mm. because uh people will own that behavior like that is me that is Mm -hmm. who i am and uh and you better buy into it they they could have be that way or they could be like you know stop judging me um that is so hard in in a in a um an era that that 
really values some of that 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 tribal thinking and some of the, you know the the uh, and I don't have an issue with with people go identifying and going you know that's those are my people that's my crowd that's my tribe but um, the um, or the uh, the identity going that uh, you've wrapped these outward pieces of your life into just the inward validity of who you are. Um, and so often it's hard to hard to even start a conversation if people know that you disagree with them. Um, mm. I, I think that's one of the the reasons. Like our our church plant here, it, one of some of one of our core core pieces is is love local, and and the the idea is to let's just let people know that we love them on the front end, right? Regardless of whether we agree or disagree on anything, we believe that you have inherent value as a person, and so we're going to show you love and support. And um, and uh, community and relate and, and re- positive relationship as much as we can uh, from the get go, uh, because you having value is more important than the areas that we might disagree with. Um, and when when the relationship gets to the point where we can talk about those things, and uh, then we can talk about those things. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like that. Hard... I like that a lot. And uh, if you want a, a nice little <laughs> distillation, uh, John Maxwell always talked about the 101% principle. You know, find the 1% that you agree on and give it 100% yeah. of your effort. <laughs> so, yes. so, you know, a little rule of thumb there. Oh, it looks like uh, Connor, Connor has got a, a knack. He knows, hey, Connor, come here. He knows exactly when it has been an hour. Um, oh, It's like an internal it's clock. It's like an internal clock. Come say hi to your grandpa. Hey, buddy. I see him every day now because he joins us on Zoom Kids. <laughs> Hi, Zoom Kid. Uh, so you guys probably can't see. I don't know if you can see him, but he's uh, he's right over here. But um, yep, I can see him. We um, yeah, that's that's powerful stuff. Uh, Kathy says really enjoyed you discuss being more concerned with being kind than being right. Yeah, you know, love wisely. Really good good stuff. Uh, so Thanks, really Kathy. appreciate you coming on and, uh, sharing about your book and, uh, some of the, the process of getting that written. And if anyone knows or has any, uh, ends with uh, the publishing crowd, um, <laughs> you can hit us up, but where, <laughs> so where can people find you? You know, um, uh, you can look me up on my websites, <laughs> um, <laughs> For my counseling, it's practicalcc.com for practical Christian counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the church is wordofhope.info, but that's mostly just about the church. Um, I also have a podcast called Love Wisely. You can find that on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on wherever podcasts are found, I guess, Spotify, etc. cetera. Uh, got Facebook page for practical Christian counseling. Um, hey, buddy, this is my other buddy. Hey, <laughs> man, Josh. Here, you guys can't see him. Liam. Yeah, we can see. And uh, so there you go, practicalcc.com and, and Love Wisely podcast. Awesome. Kind of big ones. I've got a YouTube channel out there too, but I don't have much on it, so don't worry about it. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll have to have you on again. And f- uh, for those of you Thanks watching, we, yeah, absolutely. For those of you watching, we are going to have uh, Lonnie Nelson on next week. He is our, our worship director here at Gathering 208. And we're going to talk to him about 
his walk and his call and how he's ended up in the world of worship ministry uh, and and ended up with a church plan of people he didn't know. Um, <laughs> and so we're excited to have him on. And so uh, be there for that next Wednesday at 7 p.m. Uh, but thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Oh, thanks. Did you... Uh...